Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have friend of the podcast and of mine, Phil Kramer. Phil, how are you doing? I'm doing real good, Jay. Um, trying to catch up on a little sleep after the holidays and cramming a bunch of uh, scouting and, and trips in. But um, other than that, I'm doing real well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I got a little bit of that Christmas crud, I've been calling it. And um, finally today, I'm a little bit on the road to recovery and have my voice back a little bit and um, just uh, still kind of have a nagging cough. But uh, looking forward to uh, going to Mexico. I'm glad I got the the, the sick out of the way. Uh, when I wasn't hunting, it would be, even though I would hunt through it, it would be very difficult as sick as I've been to, and you've been there, I'm sure, where, you know, you just, you just do what you got to do, but it would be pretty miserable uh, I'm excited to head to Mexico. Darn, I had a good uh, scouting trip down there uh, a couple weeks ago, and I noticed you just made a run down uh, to your, one of your ranches or a couple of your ranches in Mexico, and so I'm anxious to talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, for sure. I'm happy to hear you're starting to feel better, and you're absolutely right. If you're going to get sick, now's the time to get it instead of when you're down there hunting because that just takes away from the experience and uh, can flat out be miserable, as you well know. So happy to hear you're doing better. That's good. But, yes, I did, I did just get back, and uh, it was a, a good trip. It was a whirlwind trip, but looking forward to uh, talking about some of the things I noticed and what might be a little different than what I've seen in the past with you. So Sounds good. Uh, now, as we've talked before on the podcast, and I want to remind the listeners, Phil's been on several times, so um, encourage you to go back and listen to those prior episodes if you haven't. Um, Phil, you hunt coos deer in Mexico. What I would say a little bit different than "quote unquote" the norm, meaning you hunt a lot of desert ranches, you hunt a lot of ranches in the flats, you hunt ranches that are pretty thick. Um, not as glassable, um, and, and you hunt them, uh, you know, you're, you're further south in Mexico. The temperatures now, even around January 1st or, you know, in the 90s, um, kind of a different zone down there. Um, but you found uh, a way for you and your partners to be very effective, and some of the guys you hunt with is to run a big string of trail cameras and you even set up your cameras like we've talked in prior episodes. You set up multiple cameras on some tanks, and, and uh, you know, sometimes you're sitting ground blinds with your rifle. Some of the dirt tanks, or as they call them in Mexico, the repressos, uh, are big in size. And, you know, sometimes your shot's 100 yards, 125 yards um, on those repressos. Um, I'm anxious to dig into this a little bit more, but one question I would have is how are the conditions this year compared to exact timing that you've gone down in prior years? What did you notice? Um, this year w was quite different, and in the way that we had high expectations watching the moisture throughout the year develop, and um, of course, every time you look down on a satellite, you're thinking, oh, boy, it's really getting hit with a lot of rain, and it's going to be good, and every tank, or as you say, represso is going to be full, um, and what we found when we first got down there to set up our cameras in uh, November was it was very dry to the point where a lot of the tanks we believed would not hold water as it came along uh, further in the season, and we were absolutely right on that. Now, one thing that did happen was they got a lot of rain down there. And you're right, we're hunting quite a bit south. Um, we're actually about 65 miles southeast of Hermosillo. Um, in the low desert area where there's a lot of rollers, a lot of ocotillo, mesquites, palo verdes, very thick, arid country. But the feed this year from November even to when I just got back uh, yesterday was incredible um, feed as in very very green leaves on the trees uh, the buffalo grass is very deep green um, 
and very tall. So they did get a lot of rain, but the rains were very slow soaker type rains, and they did not get the runoff, which hurt basically the tank situation. Now what we've done or tried to do is, is find ranches and lease ranches that actually have a pretty good source of permanent water as well. So we're not out of the ball game per se, um, even though some of the tanks are dry because we do have a lot of Bevendettos or the drinkers um, that have permanent water and, and the ranchers have turned those on and the deer are actually using them quite frequently. Um, sometimes they're a little bit harder to hunt. They're typically more in the flats um thicker areas than say a big dirt tank because it's not in the bottom of a wash but the conditions were hot um, every trip we made we made two two trips down there right now getting ready to plan a third here in a couple weeks um and and the temperatures were just unbearable when we went down in november after thanksgiving um it was 98 to 105 every day and just no no relief from the sun. Um, I, I thought, you know, going right after Christmas, I went down the day after Christmas really early. Um, I thought we'd have a pretty good run, and the temperatures were still in the 90s um, day in and day out, and the deer were just moving very little from what we saw on the cameras as well as what we saw glassing. We did pick up uh, another ranch this year that is a little further south than what we've we've hunted before so i spent quite a bit of time um, looking at that ranch and, and scouting it we do have quite a bit more glassable country um, as it's not as thick but the water conditions on that ranch are actually worse than what i would say we have on our other ranches so it, it definitely made it difficult um, i was planning on staying down and actually coming back uh, on the second or third, and I decided with the conditions that they were um, to go ahead and cut that trip short and spend more time here in another couple weeks when the, the temperatures might be a little bit lower as well as the deer activity should be quite a bit better than what we saw um, down there on this trip. All good stuff. It brings up a bunch of questions, one of which... Um, so what I'm hearing you say is a lot of your repressos, your dirt tanks, are completely dry. Are they dry now? Um, some of them are. Uh, they, they've dried up since we went down after Thanksgiving. Um, some of them I don't believe will still have water within the next two weeks. Um, and I, I'm planning on going down again, I think, on the 12th, if I remember correctly. Um, right around there, the 11th or 12th, and, and spending 10 or 12 days and, and try and really focus on what I hope to be the, the primary rutting time. Um, and a lot of the tanks that we have, I don't believe, will have water, even though they have water right now. I mean, it is just drying up at an incredible rate. Um, you know, the, fairly stiff winds for that area, which are, is a very hot and dry wind, which is just evaporating the water that much faster. So... Um, I relocated a lot of our cameras from the Repressos to the Bevendettos um, on the off chance that, that those tanks do dry up, that we still have coverage in the area, so to speak. So. so do you feel like the deer with the Repressos either being dry or being dry by the time the hunt starts, um, do you think moving them to the water troughs and such that the deer will just move over from drinking from the repressos to drinking from the water troughs? I mean, is your, is your thought that the same deer will just change their habit and instead of coming to the represso, they, they will come to the water trough? I believe so. And even right now what we're seeing is Primarily, they're hitting the repressos when they can, but they're still, they're actually hitting the Bevendettos now, um, from what I believe, actually more than what we've ever seen before. And I, I think it, it's a permanent source of water, and I think they're starting to get that in their routine. It's, it's handy. Um, what the temperatures are as high as they are, I think whatever's closest is what they're hitting to where they happen to be at that time. Um, and, and what I've noticed, too, is that it seems like as the water temperatures start to go down in the repressos, the cowboys um, turn on 
the Bevendettos earlier, and I think that's to get the cattle in, in the habit as well as where the water is. So that way, as soon as that represso goes dry, they're not, you know, searching for water or having to go in and move their cattle. And I think the deer are in the same situation, that they can tell that that water, when it's turned on, um, they get into a, a routine of using it as well. So I don't it's think it will negatively affect us, It's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> It's been my experience in the past, and I think we've even talked about it on episodes where it, it doesn't seem that coos deer like to drink at the water troughs as much as they do at the repressos. Are you, are you agreeing with that, or are you thinking it's circumstantial? I do agree with that. I don't think they feel as comfortable going to a Bevendetto as they do a represso, whether it be... Um, you know, just the sheer size of, of the area that they're going into or the openness. Um, but from what our cameras have seen as well as what we've seen while we've been down there hunting or scouting is they seem to, um, uh, they seem to like going into the dry tank or prefer going into the represso area compared to a, a cement or a metal drinker. And that, that seems to be a, a coos deer trait more than anything. And I, I think that's just due to the way of the you know they're such a um you know a, a cautious animal and I, I think that's what we can see why they like the you know the repressos more than the bevendettos but i i have been seeing more this year um activity on the bevendettos and i just think that's due to the extreme temperatures and the drier conditions that we're experiencing yeah and, and sometimes those water troughs um Obviously, I haven't been to your ranches, but those water troughs are not in as open an area. They are around, you know, sometimes around corrals, sometimes around fences. It just seems as though they feel, probably feel a little more hemmed in. They don't feel quite as open to have, you know, full alert or full awareness of what's around them. I'm curious if you've noticed any of the, uh, the Bevendettos that are, you know, maybe in a more open area, do you see any, you know, uptick in, in travel or use as opposed to some of them that might be in a thick corridor, maybe in a corral, maybe, you know, along some fence corridor that, you know, gets them hemmed in, uh, so to speak. Have you noticed any correlation there or any pattern, different pattern uh, variations? You bet. Absolutely we have. Um Especially when the Bevendetto, like you say, is in a corral or uh, more of a closed-in area that they have to go through multiple fences to get to, definitely see a drop-off in activity. Um, also, what we've really seen, and, and cattle by no means scare off deer or anything like that, but I believe they feel more comfortable on a represso where they can get away from the cattle a little bit. And especially with the conditions are the way they are this year where it's really dry, those cattle might go in on a Bevendetto and they might lay up there for hours at a time and it seems to really hamper the deer coming in and using that Bevendetto to, as a source of water. What we've been seeing, and it's really interesting, is you'll have three hours worth of cattle activity and then as soon as in that those cattle start to move off, deer are on that drinker within five minutes and i think that plays a big part into why they prefer the the repressos as well is because they can kind of spread out and get away from the cows more so than sitting on a bevendetto where everything's confined within four or five feet of each other um so i've seen that that's playing a, a big part in the activity as well as a lot of the bevendettos are in more of a confined areas so to speak as far as vegetation that the mesquites and large canopy trees are are growing in right into the edge of the drinker because it's not in a bottom of a wash or a bottom of a canyon where you know it's using the drainage to fill up and i think that plays into the the same thing on why the coos deer don't prefer that is because they feel a little bit more trapped or don't have that access to quickly get away from a predator so to speak or whatever might be there that spooks them off the drinker um so that all plays into part uh what i've been telling myself this year though is when they're thirsty they're going to drink and they're going to drink at whatever source they have available so we try not to get too wrapped up into it but 
it's all things that we consider, especially when we're looking at new ranches uh, that we might be interested in leasing, and especially when we get in down there and try and make the most use of our time to fill a tag. So um, it, it's been a different year for sure so far. So we'll see how it plays out as time goes by. We'll get into some of your pictures and some of the stuff you're seeing, but one question I would have for you when moving forward, you know that you're probably going to have to hunt um, a little bit differently and, and your setup around the Bevendettos, around these water troughs, you're probably going to have a more tight, more compact um, shooting lane. I'm, I'm just curious, and maybe it's the opposite. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but do you already have a plan for um, how your approach is going to be in setting up the blinds? Because it seems like before you could set on those repressos and have like a 100-yard shot where I can see on some of these water troughs you probably are going to be 40, 50, 60 yards, half the distance, which in my mind brings in, you know, scent, brings in a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, you can maybe get away with a little bit on a represso. It, it does, and that, that's a great point and something that we started picking up on pretty early this year. So what we've been trying to do is, you know, we, on some of the big tanks you can go in and set a ground blind up and you'll have deer within a couple hours of it because you're far enough away and out of their detection zone, so to speak, that it's not as obtrusive to them. On these Bevendettos, the majority of them, I mean, for you to set up a blind and be accurately hunting that Bevendetto, you're going to be within 20 to 30 yards. So one thing I did on this trip was I would take the road or the trail approaching the Bevendetto, and I'd try and get back 80 to 100 yards on that and then clear a path. Now, the good thing about the Bevendetto is you're only looking at a four or five foot radius, basically, of where the water is so you don't have to clear a huge path but i've been doing that all the way back to 80 to 100 yards so we can get out of that what i call that comfort zone of the deer that you'll stand a lot better chance of actually not having your scent spook them um, not having the sound or being able to have a little bit more freedom in your blind and still effectively hunt that bevendetto so i spent a lot of time clearing brush i feel like i've uh, Joined the landscaping business recently, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's something that we had to do, you know, so that we feel like we've got a better success rate or a, a chance at success on setting some of these drinkers that normally we wouldn't even consider hunting. Um, we'd just, you know, throw up a camera for an inventory purpose and not for somewhere to hunt. And now we're looking at them as a, a primary target area to, uh, you know, put up a blind or put a hunter in and, and see what we can do and try and target a specific buck. Let's talk a little bit about um, holdover bucks from last year and um, bucks that you were anticipating and hoping to see again this year. Um, have there been any surprises? Um, have any of the usual suspects shown up? And, and how is that looking in that category? Yeah. You know, that that's very interesting, and it, it's something I'm still kind of kicking over in my head and, and um, trying to figure out. But before I, before I answer that directly, let me go back to last year. And last year, as you know, we had a lot of moisture in winter, in December and January, and we had a lot of our bigger bucks hitting cameras, hitting tanks, moving around, a lot of activity in December, and then into January when the, those big storms came through, we kind of had everything slow down and and made it pretty tough for us, really, on hunting, especially on those ranches where we're dependent upon a lot of these bucks getting killed by them coming into a tank to drink. So when I went down there this year, I had high hopes because we had a lot of big bucks that we did not kill last year. So you always have that, what he turned into this year? What's he look like? Did he add a point? Did he add mass? Did he add length? So we get down there and um, here a week ago, and I just I could not wait to go pull cards on specific takes, looking for specific deer. And to be honest with you, I, I was disappointed. I a lot of the usual suspects we do not have on camera this year, and it is driving me crazy because in my mind it, it's a question: Okay, did they go to the neighbor ranch? 
did a lion eat them? Where are they at? And then I started adding up all of the bucks I expected to get on camera that I have not. And mathematically, it just doesn't make sense that they're all dead or they all got eaten by a lion. I think they're just kind of holding tight out there. They're not doing much. They're not, um, you know, expending much energy. They're not burning a lot of calories because it is flat out miserable out there. It is hot. It is um, dry. It is dusty. So my hope is that as things start to cool off, as the rut starts to pick up, that we'll get some of these usual suspects back. Now, that being said, we have so far, I think, four or five of our target bucks that have unique enough features that from last year that are hitting tanks this year. Um, again, and some of them have really, I don't want to say blown up, but they've added unique features like an inline or added a kicker on one side that they didn't have last year. One of our bucks blew up into going from a four-inch eye guard to what I'm guessing eight and a half to nine-inch eye guards this year. Um, so that part of me has has a you know a high anticipation level for what's to come, and then there's still that part in the back of my mind saying, where are our giant bucks from last year? Where did they go? Did they move off? Are they going to show back up? And that's part of the reason why, you know, we like it so much is, okay, the anticipation level of what's to come. Um, but we, we do have some, some holdover bucks from last year that have showed up, and they're looking really, really good. Um, nothing too surprising. We, uh, we do, like I said, have a couple that have added some inches in the right areas, so I think they'll be really high-scoring bucks. And there's a couple that I I've actually went as far as put some ground blinds up in certain areas, hoping that specific bucks do show up here within the next two to three weeks. So we'll see what happens. Should be good. Though. Yeah, it's always fun to dream about what's going to happen. One question I would have for you is on, on a couple of those big, big bucks that you were hoping that you know made it through this year, are those bucks that – last year you had early meaning they're resident bucks or do you feel like some of those target bucks those big bucks that you don't have now could they be coming from a long distance or do you feel like no they're resident bucks they should be here and they are here they're just not on camera i think the ones that that we had early last year or uh, and we don't have this year i think we're on their outer fringe of their home range whether that range be just when they're feeling like it's time to rut or whether that be their home range and we're just far enough on the outskirts that they don't get there very often there's two bucks specifically and they happen to be probably our biggest bucks from last year that we didn't kill that i i feel we are on their outer range of their area that they rut in and i think we have to rely upon that rut to bring them in, and otherwise it's it's just not going to happen. I don't think we're in their backyard. I think we're in the neighbor's backyard, so to speak, and the only way we're going to kill those bucks is when they're out running and actively looking for does and, and chasing, and then they get out to those outer areas. Um, there are a couple bucks that did not show up that I feel we're in their living room, and I just think that they're getting water from a Bevendetto or um, an area that we don't know or specifically aren't targeting with our cameras, um, and they're just waiting for something to happen, and then they're going to show up, and I, I believe that that will continue to happen, and I think the reason why we got them early last year is because it was a lot cooler, and I think there was a little bit more pre-rut early and there were more deer on up during the day and on the move one thing i've noticed this year is almost all of our bigger bucks are, are hitting tanks and seem to be doing their movement at night and i think that's strictly due to the temperature it's all great stuff right there um it'll be really interesting to see you know, if, if some of those bucks that you, you know, you're kind of wondering where the heck they're at, is, is it a function of you don't have every source covered, Phil? I mean, is it is it high, highly likely that, the, I mean, well, let me back up. Are there water sources on the ranch that you don't have covered and they could very easily be watering in a place you just don't have a camera? There are to a point. Um, 
in the areas that we're specifically targeting those those really big bucks that we have not had a picture of i feel that we have every possible water source covered now that being said i'll, I'll take for it an example on one represso in that area i have 14 cameras on this specific tank and the tank's not very big <laughs> i mean it, it it's really not because i'm specifically trying to get this one buck and i need to know if he shows up now i have i know of another bevendetto or a bevendetto within half a mile of the area and i have three cameras on that bevendetto and then i have another represso that's almost to go dry and i have eight cameras on it now all of that being said i went and pulled the cards um day before yesterday before i left and changed the batteries made sure everything was good to go and on the tank that i have eight cameras on that's not very big out of all the cameras, there was one buck that came in, and I only got him on one of those cameras. And to me, it just blew me away. I was like, how is that even possible? But that gives me enough hope that I'm still missing some things out there, right? They're, they're getting in there and getting out without me getting a picture every time. And that gives you a little bit of hope, and it also makes you a little disappointed that you have all of this money and time invested into it, and you're still not getting everything on camera. Um, the other thing is we did pick up this other ranch it's a very large ranch and uh we set 89 cameras in november and i added to that when i went back here um, in december and i think we have a total of 123 cameras out we don't have every water source on all of our ranchers covered because we just don't have enough time we don't have enough cameras and frankly enough energy to go cover every single water source in specific areas where we're targeting a specific buck i feel we do a very good job of just covering up that area let's talk a little bit about that so you get a picture of a buck and none of your other seven cameras you got eight cameras seven of them don't get a picture is it because of angle is it because Cooster are smaller? Is it because of bad camera placement, angle, you know, or is it just a function of you just didn't get them? It, it, I think it's a combination of, of both. I want to say um, between Tim and, and myself, he's, he's my partner that we do this together with, we have a really good handle on angles and our best chance of success on catching things. But what we typically do in November and then going down and, and doing them again in December is we change the delays. So in other words, especially on areas that have a lot of cattle, is we'll, we'll do a three-shot burst and then have a five-minute delay. Well, that, that's all fine and Danny and saving your batteries and making sure you have enough cameras or card space for the camera. But what it does do is if one camera senses motion and it takes a three-shot sh um, three burst, well a deer very well could go in between that then and get a drink and walk out and you never get a picture of it because it triggered over a bat or a bird or a coyote and i think that's coming into play quite a bit uh the other thing is with it being this hot the nighttime activity is just unreal on these water sources from coyotes bobcats lions cotamundis javelina cattle, deer, you name it. Uh, it seems like just a constant flurry of activity at these tanks at night. And I'm talking from 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon all the way until 9 o'clock, 9.30 in the morning the next day. is It's nonstop, picture after picture after picture. It wasn't uncommon for me to roll up to a camera that I'd checked the day before and it already have 200 pictures on it and every single one of them is an animal. It's not a false picture um wow it, it's just it's just crazy at night it, it would be a lot of fun to sit out there and see everything that actually was coming in it, it was unbelievable um in other words up, though at night go ahead and hold that thought but in other words at night like it's almost <laughs> you know for a, from a deer's perspective if everything's watering at night i mean their biggest predators are waiting i mean like it's got to be a spooky deal for them to come in and get a drink at night when they know coyotes are waiting bobcats are waiting you know lions are wants to kill them is waiting it 
that's exactly where I was going with my thought on that is I was going to tell you we have <laughs> probably one of the most unreal sequences that we've ever captured. And we have, a, well, it's actually a tank that I, I killed my buck off of last year, and there were a couple um, bucks that I had really high hopes for this year, so we just covered that, that tank up with cameras. And from four different cameras, we get this sequence of a lion lying in wait at the tank, um, a spike coming in, and you can actually see the lion start to stalk the spike. The spike's looking around. He's actually looking right at the lion. Um, we, we have another camera on video on the same thing, so it's capturing still mode and video mode, and we catch this whole thing of a lion stalking, killing, and dragging off the deer. And No way. So he killed oh, it. It's just unreal. He killed it, yep. Um, we have the whole thing caught on camera, on multiple cameras. It's, it's, like I said, the most unreal sequence we've ever captured, but... We're seeing that on, on multiple tanks is that the lion activity is huge, and I don't think the lions, there's more lions this year. It, they're just congregated at the water source, just like the coyotes are, just like the bobcats are. Um, we have pictures. It, it, it's just it's so neat. Um, you know, of foxes, uh, they have their paws up on a bevendetto, and they're getting a drink, and there's a coos deer doe. Um, within three inches of the fox getting a drink at the same time. I mean, it's it's just something down there to, uh, this year with the way that the water sources are and the heat, that everything's congregating at the tanks and the bevendettos, and it's just a flurry of activity. But you're 100% right. The, the deer are spooky. I mean, because they know that they're in danger every time they go to one of those. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think once the rut kicks in a little bit, um, you know, they're still going to have to come in and get a drink, and I think they're going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say reckless, but a, a little bit more frequently coming to the, the water sources. At least that's our hope. But it, it's definitely uh, a party at the water tank this year, that's for sure. I think that's a good point to make and something to think about in dry years when you've got, you know, we had great summer moisture down there. You say your feed is really good, the leaves, everything looks good, but you've got, you know, dry dirt tanks. So you've got congregation of animals that have to use whatever water sources they can. I think predation can take a huge toll on these ranches when you have periods of limited water sources where they have to congregate and, you know, that's always one downside. Uh, you know, on, on one hand, it could be a positive because it kind of, you know, shrinks up. You know, it, it makes you, if you're going to sit some of these tanks, you know, you have a field day just because there's so much going on because they're limited to water. But I also think you got to watch on years like this where, you know, you don't lose a bunch of your deer, a bunch of your bucks because of that predation. Um, and I think there's way more of it that goes on than what we know, but especially when you you know you, you spread these deer and spread these predators out because there's water everywhere when you when you congregate them, I think it makes the predation even worse. I agree hundred percent, and our cameras are showing that this year. You know it, when we first started pulling cards and I was running through the pictures, I was like, I have never seen so many lions, but I'm a firm believer. I mean, these are mature lions. It's not like they just, um, you know, were born last year and they're out hunting this year. I think it's just because the water sources are so much more limited this year that they're having to use the same sources we're hunting. And as we could see from that sequence, it, it's playing a, a big part in the predation of our target deer. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of our big bucks haven't fell prey to that, but you know, we haven't seen it yet, so I still have high hopes for that. But I definitely see that being a problem. And it's a catch-22 because it limits the water sources, so it cuts down on our target area that we have to hunt or check or keep an eye on. But at the same time, it, it does the same thing for the lions. And the lions are going to go out there and make a living um, any way they can, and they're smart enough to know that that's their primary food sources right there where they're getting a drink just because everything else has to get a drink there too and we we've, we've seen that through the activity of our you know the lions on our ca our cameras especially during the day 
um, you know, we would get one, two lions every once in a while coming in during the day, and now it's not uncommon for every tank that we're checking um, with our cameras to have a lion or two during the day each time we check the camera. So. I, I was going to ask you about, you've been saying most of the deer are watering at night. Um, one question I would have is, can you pinpoint, so here we are around the 1st of January, can you pinpoint a time frame when you would say most of the bucks are watering at night? So, so in the dark, if, you know, what's a three out, two or three hour window when you said most bucks are watering between X and Y? And then I would take it a step further and say, okay, from the daytime photos up until January 1st, from the daytime photos, just talking about bucks, is there a time frame when you would generalize and say this is the window during the daylight that we get the most bucks up till now? Granted, I know it changes during the rut, but I'm curious, like pre-rut, like before any rutting, what what are you noticing pattern-wise? Well, it's it's kind of interesting you ask that because we um, spent a little bit of time going through all of our pictures and seeing if we could find a pattern from. November 27th through December 26th on specific times during the daylight that we might be seeing bucks. And the reason being is um, we have a hunter down there hunting right now that he's specifically trying to kill a deer or two. It's one of Tim's boys, and, and we wanted to give him the best opportunity. So we spent some time looking at that. And for daylight hours, it seems right now, and just speaking bucks, not talking does or anything else, but the bucks are coming in between 9 a.m. and, say, 10.30, 10.45 a.m. And that's daylight hours, and that's when we were seeing the majority of our bucks hitting the tanks. Now, nighttime hours seems to be fairly early, as, as you would consider it, during the night, from anywhere at 7.30 at night, through about 10 o'clock at night and then we got very little act buck activity from say midnight through three o'clock in the morning and then it picked up a little bit again from like four to six and then um, died off where there was almost no activity as far as buck wise and then it, it picks up again around 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning until about 11 11 30 somewhere in there and it, it was kind of interesting go ahead no, I was just going to say it was kind of interesting because we specifically looked at all of our pictures to see if we could find a time when the most activity for bucks were, and that, that's when it was. Why? I, I can't answer that, but that is a, a pattern we, we saw and we were able to find after all the tanks. Or. Does that change with does and fawns, or is it pretty much the same? It, it actually changed a lot with does and fawns. Um, where we were seeing a lot of does and fawns hitting the water, right at that first gray light in the morning um, until about 8 o'clock in the morning, and then we would see it again from about noon to 2 in the middle of the day, and then again right at the, the gray light in the evening, and then in the middle of the night we were, weren't seeing near the doe and fawn activity on the water. And this is just a hypothesis of mine, but I, I really believe the does are, are trying to keep the fawns away from the water source when they feel like the, the coyotes and the bobcats and the lions and everything else are there hunting. And that's just a pure guess on my part. There's no science behind it, and I wasn't able to draw any conclusions from what I've, I've seen on the cameras. That's just a guess. So. so moving forward, though, as you plan and prepare to hunt the rut, you obviously, it's nice to know when bucks are hitting, but once the rut hits, you know that those bucks are more than likely just going to be following the does. So would you say that you would focus more on the doe pattern moving into January and into early February as opposed to your buck patterns? Obviously, if you were trying to kill a buck prior to January 1st, you'd really focus on bucks. But moving forward now, as you look into January, are are you taking more note of doe periods, um, you know, and activity that, that, that they're going to be moving? Not, not as much the, the periods that they're moving right now, but the quantities that, that are hitting certain tanks. Um, 
if there's one or two does coming in into an area, even though there might be several bucks there, we're not really specifically targeting that area to hunt as much as another area that might be dozen to 14 does and fawns or yearlings coming into to that tank. And that's where we're focusing more time, more camera activity, more um, you know, prepping the area to hunt later on in hopes that the once the rut starts to kick in, those big bucks or the dominant bucks going to move in there and a better chance of moving into that area given the fact that there's more does there available to them. And that's what we're focusing on more now than, say, an activity or a time period during the day. Um, I, I really believe here within the next two weeks that that'll change quite a bit considerably. Um, a lot of it's going to play, obviously, uh, on the condition that the does are in and, and when, um, you know, they start coming into estrus. But from what I, I've seen, everything's in pretty good shape, even though it, it's so dry. And I think that's due to the great feed that's down there this year. And, and they don't have to travel very far to get the groceries that they need. And antler growth, you would say, is it's it's a great year. It's 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 definitely not average. It's above average from what you've seen. From what I've seen so far, yes. Um, I, I really don't think drought conditions affect the the coos deer antlers and their development as much as say a bull elk or a big mule deer. But everything I've seen, especially on some of the bucks that we had on camera last year, compared to what they've done this year. Um, if you take the age factor out of it, I think antler grows either at average or slightly above average than any other year I've seen in the last, you know, 12 to 14 years down there. It's going to be uh, fun to see how your season shakes out, and we'll do a follow-up uh, after you get back and uh, hear what else you've learned. Um, I want to Take just a quick break here. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. The title sponsor is GoHunt.com Insider. And, Phil, they just released their 2018 draw odds. And for Arizona, the regulations and such just came out. And so it's important to be able to check out those um, updated draw odds. Uh, They're the most accurate draw odds on the market today. If you're not a Go Hunt Insider member, you can go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and you can sign up there. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt gift card, uh, uh, gear shop gift card, uh, $50 credit, uh, and you can sign up to be an Insider member. They do a lot of gear giveaways, hunt giveaways, and they are the best resource for Western hunters out there in those uh, accurate draw odds are imperative for you guys that are applying in western states so I want to encourage you to check them out and I want to thank them for their sponsorship also Kuyu Ultralight Hunting uh, I know uh, Phil you use a lot of Kuyu gear and uh, as as do I and I want to thank Jason Harrison and his crew over at Kuyu for supporting this podcast the Outdoorsman's the Optics Authority uh, in Arizona, here in my hometown of Phoenix, Cody Nelson and his crew uh, at 1-800-291-8065 or outdoorsmans.com. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there with Cody uh, at the Outdoorsman's. And then my final sponsor, partner in the podcast, is phonescope.com. And if you use the JScott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there on all PhoneScope products. I want to thank all of the sponsors uh, for their avid support of what I'm doing. And uh, this podcast wouldn't be possible without them, so I encourage you guys to check them out and uh, support them as well. So it's going to be exciting to see how the season shakes out for you um, I want to ask you a question. You had been monitoring a really big buck in Arizona and had some trail camera pictures and some history with a really nice buck that got harvested in one of these general seasons. Um, first and foremost, I know the heartbreak of you know watching something and someone else harvest it is hard to swallow. 
Um, but on, on the other hand, uh, we've all shot trophies that I'm sure someone else has monitored. Um, so, you know, you can't be disappointed that, you know, another hunter's success, but I'm sure, you know, as much time as you probably spent in trying to, um, you know, monitor that buck, my first question would be, how long had you been monitoring the buck, and do you know what he ended up scoring? Um, well, to, to answer the first question, it's been four years um, since I first saw the buck, uh, you know, it, in Arizona. Um, I, I actually saw him down there on a hunt uh, for the first time, and I, I could tell he is a, a younger buck, but he had already had a really good frame and some extra stuff going on um so i i focused in on the area pretty hard the next summer um with trail cameras and and basically blanketing the area i was lucky enough to pick him up uh that next year he was a a four by three um pretty typical frame pretty good mass um the next year i actually decided and made a conscious effort to hunt him um, he, I wouldn't say blew up, but he, he added quite a few more inches. Um, another point, a split G1 on the one side. Um, at that time, I was thinking he's probably in the 110, 112 range, um, maybe a little bit more. Um, and then this year, this early summer, I picked him up really early on trail camera. Um, he was frequenting in an area that I just blanketed with cameras. Um, and he absolutely blew up this year. He added an extra off of his G2 on his right side. He added another tine on his right side as well. Um, just absolutely blew up from the previous year. So, all right, Bill. Uh, oh, no, no problem at all. Um, but anyway, I, I went ahead and, and hunted him for seven days with my bow in the early season. Um, I had one close encounter with him, and I, I chose not to take a shot as he was moving away from me. Um, hindsight, so it was twenty twenty. Would have <laughs> shot if I could, if I'd have known he was going to get harvested. Maybe, but probably not. Um, so anyway, you know, I after the history I have with the buck, when it was time to uh, you know wrap it up and go elk hunting, I, I didn't have any problem doing that. Didn't think anything about it, and I happened to be. Um, I'll cruise on the internet one night and, and see a YouTube video pop up and I instantly recognize the buck and it just blew me away. Um, at first you go through the heartbreak and then the anger and then, well, congratulations to those guys. You know, they killed a heck of a deer and um, then the sadness of, man, I'm not going to be able to chase him this next year, you know. But anyway, make a long story short, I, I got hold of the guys that were um, able to kill the buck, and I emailed them a bunch of trail camera pictures, and I actually need to email them the last uh, two or three years that I had of him there. And from what their initial score is, the buck ended up going 131 and 5'8". Um, just oh an unbelievable gosh. deer. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh. My hat that is incredible. It's just awesome to know that those deer are running around on public ground. <laughs> they are. They are, and for multiple years, you know, it's not something that just showed up. Uh, he's been in that area. They killed him less than three-quarters of a mile from where he summers every year, from where I've, I've you know, had him on trail camera for the last four years. So, uh, you know, my hat, like I said, my hat's off to him. They went in. They did the work. They had a little history with the buck as well. Um, a friend of theirs had actually missed the buck the year previous on a general hunt with a rifle. Um, so, you know, they they did their work, and they were able to, to get him, and uh, I can't wait to get the, you know, the final score. Um, a friend of mine is going to score him here in the next week or so, and then, um, you know, I can't wait to see them out. So they definitely know what they have and, and are fortunate to get him. And, um even though I'm going to be sad not chasing him here this next summer, it just gives me the opportunity to go look for another one. So, Absolutely. Well, that's a good attitude. A couple questions with that. So you actually glassed the deer up the first time you saw him, and then you went and blanketed the area with trail cameras. One question would be, what time of year was it the first time you saw him, and then how close was he to that spot when you blanketed him with trail cameras? 
I, the first time I saw him was in early October. I was actually down there on a junior hunt. Um, so I guess that'd be mid-October probably uh, at that time. And so I knew he wasn't far from where he had, had spent his summer when he was growing his antlers and everything. Um, so that's the, the area I targeted. I, I, I put a lot of cameras on the water sources there as well as a, a couple mineral licks. Um, salt licks that I had known that the cattle ranchers in the area had used. Um, and it was within a quarter mile of where I glassed the deer up to where I first got a Montreal camera. Um, and then I kind of honed in on his summer range after that and was able to tighten up the net pretty good. Um, and, and he just didn't move much in the summer when he was growing his antlers. He, he definitely followed the feed and the water, but um, overall, he would probably travel less than, I would say, a, a half square mile. He he was very much a homebody year after year. Um, and the biggest issue I had with him is, is he didn't travel much during the day. He, he was very um, nocturnal, so to speak, um, on his feeding and, and watering time. So that made it a little difficult, but... Um, I mean, not if, impossible. If you, <laughs> if, if you had four years of you know, encounters with him, so to speak. And the first year you saw him, you know, he's like 110-inch or 12-inch buck, I think you said. I mean, he's probably a 7-year-old deer. Would you Would you agree? Or more? I, I, would, I would agree. Um, <clears throat> I think that's right in there. Uh, a friend of mine who's going to score him is going to take a look at and see if he can't get a, a pretty good idea on his age as well. But, you know, I think when I first saw him, he was probably at a minimum four and a half. And so, yeah, he's he's seven and a half year old deer this year at the youngest. Um, right. So my question would be, um, from all your experience with coos deer, do you feel that the older a buck gets, the more that he tightens his home range? Or, or wait, I, let, me, I, let me let me let me. When a buck gets to a certain age of maturity where they're, you know, what we would consider an old buck, do you think old mature bucks shrink their range? I do. I do. And I think given if you could, if you could take out the denominators or the factors of feed and water and cover, um, if you give them those things and don't introduce, you know, an, an extraordinary amount of predation or pressure, um, I do believe they, they shrink down their home range as well as their activity, their movement activity. Um, I was able to watch this deer on two different years. As soon as the general hunt started to kick in and, and the amount of human activity in the area, I was able to watch him physically, I would say, sneak out of the area and move another half to three-quarters of a mile up the mountain range into thicker country than where... I'd watch him all summer. So um, I, I think if you take the pressure factor out of it, they they most definitely shrink up their home turf or their amount of movement in an area the older or more mature they get. Very interesting. Love hearing that, those observations. Um, just an awesome deer. Anytime you get... I don't know what it is about coos deer specifically, too. Just those big old bucks, you just gotta love them, don't you? I mean, they they are running the gauntlet all you know every day of their life. You know, not that other animals aren't, but it just you know it seems like everything wants to eat a coos deer buck. It, it does, from coyotes to uh, bears, bobcats to lions to people. It just seems like they are constantly on edge and and having to always look over their shoulder. And, um, you know, for a buck like that to to reach that level of maturity and, and grow that set of antlers in an area that's fairly heavily hunted on public land um, is just, to me, amazing. And that's part of the reason why I have such a infatuation with coos deers. They're just an incredible animal that has the ability to do that. And, and do it quite frequently, to be honest with you. The amount of large, mature deer that are taken every year just seems to, to blow me away every year um, in wide-open public areas. And so it's yeah, just fascinating yeah. to me. 
Well, Phil, it's been awesome talking about Choose Deer. Um, we'll just uh, conclude here. I just got a couple questions for you on Arizona elk applications. I don't know if you've had a chance to even uh, go over them and check them out. Um, you turkey, though, you drew last year. So, so um, I'm just curious what your strategy is or with this drought, are you taking more of a passive approach or, you know, with virtually no bonus points or, you know, having drawn last year, you just have your loyalty and your hunter ed. Are you going into it with a, hey, if I, I'm just going to put in and if I get a tagged bait, I, don't, I didn't lose anything because I don't have any points? What's your strategy moving forward? Well, my strategy right now is looking for anyone with a lot of bonus points at once. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, just uh, I'm I'm gonna put all you listeners out there. If you have lots of points, contact Phil Kramer on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> and 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 ask for a lot of money. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Make them pay for it after the bully shot last year. Don't don't let him off easy. Oh, yeah, go ahead, yeah. go ahead no. Phil. No, for sure, I'm I'm going to go about it with the same um, strategy, knowing that my chances to draw are very slim. Um, I've I've had a chance to you know mull over the regs quite a bit and and see um, you know what the tag numbers have done. And in most of the areas that I hunt, they haven't done a whole lot with them, um, up or down. It seems like they moved uh, quite a few antelope tags out of certain areas that. Um, I think are a good thing. They've reduced the numbers in areas that I normally hunt. I think that's been needed. But as far as elk's concerned, I'm just going to put in like I normally do. Um, I might switch my focus back to some units that I, I hunted quite a bit when I was growing up um, now that they've reduced some of the, the bull tags and the early rifle as well as the archery, and I think the quality will be coming back, such as 10, um, you know, my chance of drawing slim to none, but you never know. I got lucky last year and could get lucky again this year. Yeah, I definitely, um, you know, have high hopes for 10. And as soon as last, when last year I saw him drop it to 100 tags, I was relieved. You know, they I think they had four years in a row at 200 archery tags, and they bumped it as high as 100 uh, early rifle tags. And it's nice to see that number get dropped back down to 40. I'd love to yeah. see it get dropped to 25 again. Um, but I think the unit has a chance to come back, and, and um, uh, I have done some podcasts with some other elk guys that uh, episodes that haven't aired yet that, you know, they all feel the same way. Um, and then, you know, the hunt that jumps out at me, which um, I don't know the unit at all, but, you know, the, the 7 West muzzleloader hunt is going to go in front of the archery hunt this year, and um, from what I hear, there's some really nice bulls in 7 West, and you know, I think that's definitely a, an opportunity there for someone with a muzzleloader to, to harvest a nice bull. I feel sorry for the archers that probably have to follow it up. But on, on one hand, too, th that might make that 7 West archery hunt that much better in the fact that the rut uh, will be late or the baits will be later and they might catch more actual rutting activity. Um, it, it, it's going to be hard to say if the pressure from the 25 tags jumps in there and, you know, just shuts them down completely. Um, but I'll bet a couple nice bulls get harvested this year out of 7 West. I would agree with that for sure. Um, I think if I was going to target that area for the, you know, the ar early archery, I might think twice now. But, um, you know, elk are still going to be elk. It, it just depends on what the pressure does, like you say, on, on their patterns and if they're going to be vocal um, to where a guy can get in on them and take advantage of it. But I, I think you're 100% right that the muzzleloaders are going to take on some, some pretty good bulls out of that hunt. So. Yeah, I want to encourage the listeners to follow Phil on his Instagram account. That's uh, Kramer Hunt, that's C-R-A-M-E-R -E Hunt on Instagram. And um, uh, Phil, thanks as always. Uh, great, great info that you bring and uh, look forward to seeing how your hunt progresses down there in January. And um, when... When are you expecting prime movement and prime rut down down there? Are you, are you looking at late January? Are you looking at mid January? What what's your thoughts? Um, you know, I've been looking at the moon as well as as the weather. Um, 
they're actually calling for some rain here, uh, not this week, but the following week, which I'm not real excited about, but it will drop the temperatures a little bit. Um, I expect down where we're at it to be a little bit later in January, probably around the 17th, 18th, um, to, to really start to get into the prime rut. But like I said uh, earlier, we're going down on the 12th, um, and we'll be there through probably the, oh, the 22nd, 24th, somewhere in there, um, depending on how things go. So I, I think we stand a really good chance on hitting that prime rut, prime movement. Um, I expect it to be around the 17th, 18th, somewhere in there. All right, man. Well, go get them, and uh, thanks, as always, thanks for uh, coming on here and sharing with us, and I uh, look forward to following up along and seeing how it goes. Uh, thank you, Jay. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I look forward to how you and Dar and your hunters do this year. Um, I know you guys have had a, a really good scouting trip down there already, and I expect some monster bucks coming out here pretty quick. So We're going to give it our best, so we'll uh, meet back in the middle here uh after January and see what we got. Okay, sounds good, Jay. I appreciate it as right. always, and keep getting better, buddy. All right, buddy. Thank you.